it blows my mind when people say they would never live in Florida. Like, I'm sorry, it is February, and look where I am. Empty bookshelves at a local middle school. Parents tell News for Jacks that teachers and librarians at their kids' schools were told to pack up the books. A teacher in Manatee County this week covered up the books in his classroom and put up a sign that reads, closed by order of the governor. Housing help is needed across South Florida. I mean, there's parts of Florida that I said, okay, they're affordable, maybe I'll go there. And those parts aren't even affordable anymore. We are the least affordable county in the state. I'll say that. We are one of the most least affordable places in the nation. Proposed state legislation would make it easier to sue media outlets and target the use of anonymous sources. It has a good chance of passing the Republican-controlled legislature. Governor Ron DeSantis has made a number of changes in both K through 12 and higher education. He announced a plan to dismantle diversity, equity, and inclusion programs on college campuses. Hello and welcome back to Why Are We Like This, the only true crime podcast that treats Florida like the active crime scene it is. I'm David Quinones and I'm joined as always by my co-host Tomas Kennedy. Tomas, what's up, man? Pretty good, man. Just trying to survive Florida. Getting harder and harder, harder and harder every week. A little bit. That's why we are going to going to catch the um, you know the secret trail that that our other co-host Gerald Doherty has left for us about provisions yes. along I ninety five and uh, try to make an escape at some point. Ger- uh, Gerald, how are you doing? I'm doing well because I don't live in Florida anymore. <laughs> just keep rubbing it in, man. Just keep rubbing it in. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, let's get right down to business. Our, our guest today is Matt Leck, co-host of Left Reckoning and Literary Hangover. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Leck. Matt, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Why Are We Like This. Thank you guys so much for having ha- having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's it's good to have you. Um, we want to kind of like talk a little bit about uh, last episode. We 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 focused on. Florida's junior senator, uh, Rick Scott, and we kind of went deep on him and, and probably gave him more time and, and effort than he deserves. Definitely more time and effort than he gave um, the U.S. Navy in his 29 months working there, uh, <laughs> despite um, whatever. We're not going to relitigate Rick Scott. Uh, but today we want to focus on um, somebody that we talk about a lot and is worthy of talking about because... He is um, the moon and stars and the light and the sun and everything for all of us down here in Florida because he's controlling basically every single aspect of our life, and that's uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. But before we get to that, I was hoping we could have a really quick conversation about the Twitter files, guys. I hope Is it too late for us to break some news on the Twitter files or no? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah, um, I want to I want to just kind of cue us up with um, I, I believe it was Tomas. What was this? This was like a, a congressional um, w- w- like what was the what was the what was the the uh, the context for this meeting that happened in, 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 in the Senate for, for this hearing? So I, I don't know much because I honestly do not give a shit about the Twitter files. I think they're so boring. Wow. Uh, he doesn't care about free speech, Thomas. That's very I got the background for you guys. It's this was the Jim Jordan's uh, House Judiciary Committee uh, is doing the weaponization of social media uh, bullshit um, and uh, and invited uh, Matt Taibbi and uh, Michael Schellenberger. I'll credit one of the f- former of those guys being a journalist. Uh, Schellenberger to me is, just seems like a uh, uh, like a climate sort of hack. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and to to talk about how 
how their their Twitter file story is actually more significant than the 2008 financial crisis, among other points that uh, they made. So yeah, it's been the it's been something. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was. It got in my it got in my uh, feed or in front of in front of my attention at least from um, you know our, our one of our favorite people here at Why Are We Like This, Glenn Greenwald, um, <laughs> retweeting it or talking about it and just of course injecting his unique brand of like blaming the way he is. Were y'all, were y'all aware of uh, Greenwald's early foray into Florida politics? No, Not please educate us on this. I, I if, don't know you, if, if you go to his Wikipedia, there's some stories, I forget, maybe Fort Lauderdale. I'm not sure exactly where he grew up, but he comes from a political family. Uh, I believe his uh, grandfather was in politics. Yeah. And he mm. ran two times before he went to law school. Mm. Uh, city um, council shit, right? What is that? He ran for like city council or some shit, right? Yes, and he said the city council was... Um, uh, improperly using funds, so you know, classic Greenwald being on the corruption charge uh, mm-hmm. uh, beat, but also he said that they should just be giving more money to the police department. So, you know, that's what he was doing before he uh, got into a law, which I, I always find kind of revealing in a way, a little bit. Yeah, little you're, bit you're, 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 you're right, Matt. He was, um, he, I, he, I knew that he was uh, a native New Yorker, but apparently he, when he was a baby, he moved down here uh, right to our neck of the woods. He moved to Davie, which is just a little bit north of uh, where Tomas and I are. And um, yeah, sure enough, he, he his, uh trying to see, it looks like, yeah, he, he did come from a, um, a pretty well-connected family in the South Florida area. And um, yeah, he didn't do that well in his, uh, in his fourth place run where he got, um, I guess, 7% of the vote in, his, in a 1985 uh, his, election. His villain origin story right there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's funny. I just wanted to bring this up because, um, you know, there is a tacit connection here. The, the, the person that was, um, I guess, sort of the, the opposing party, you know, member uh, uh, that was asking questions was Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And I, I don't even know. Tomas, maybe you could tell us, like, what it was exactly that Debbie had to say. I mean, there aren't any Debbie fans on this podcast. Yeah. So, so I, I actually watched that. And I'll say there was one part that I didn't like about her questioning, which was when she actually, um, you know, really drilled into Matt Taibbi's like, uh, like profits from the Twitter files. I get what she was trying to do, but, you know, it's like, yeah, he's making money. You know, he's like a journalist, you know, everybody's got to make a living. But obviously, you know, he is working for Elon Musk and really raking in the cash, you know, uh, for, for this like, you know, idiotic, like, you know, really weaponized reporting that's like very biased. But there was another part that I thought was excellent over questioning when she basically uh, played uh, a clip of him or, or, or cited a clip of him and Joe Rogan in which Matt Taibbi was saying, you know, as a journalist, when you're spoon fed uh, a story, you basically lost the plot. You're no longer yep. a journalist. And then and she said, is that what happened with you? Like, because it seems like Elon Musk spoon fed you what to report. And you reported it exactly like he wanted to. And he just seemed completely bodied. I mean, he like, I think he kind of like nervously laughed and really didn't have an answer. So I, yeah. I, I got I to gotta, I gotta hand it to her. She, she, she got him. 
his response is basically that he was actually making a much narrower point, which is about when Seymour Hirsch gets documents from the CIA. But that's, I think, just a retreat into pedantry. Besides the point, it's a dodge. Because, you know, yeah. when you say you can't let yourself get in that situation, he's in that situation. And it's only if you think that getting, you know, uh, spoon fed from the CIA is infinitely worse than getting spoon fed by one of the richest men on earth who also happens to be a military con defense contractor by the way um yeah. is is yeah. you know two different things and it's the exact same uh, problem and yeah. wasserman schultz was right about that no i i just wanted to also say like it's different you know what i mean reporting you know from from a, a an anonymous source you know at, a, at, a, at a, an intelligence service you know that's like whistleblowing or whatever, and you do your due diligence and you, you fact check it and you do the best reporting that you can. It's completely different when it's literally the richest men in the world publicly spoon feeding you information, like you said, Matt. I mean, just the, yeah. the, the, the comparisons were idiotic, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think like if this was a good faith, like somebody asked like how would you have done this and first of all i think you have to be you know clear that like elon musk took over twitter not as a whistleblower but as a oligarch who was financed by like big banks in the saudis but i think if you were actually going to do this it wouldn't be going to matt taibbi who you know did some previous work that won awards and stuff like that but also michael schellenberger and like 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 you would be going to someone like the uh, a body like the uh, what is it, ICIJ who did the Panama Papers, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. Like you would go to a, a group like that. But Elon Musk liked Matt Taibbi's stuff about trans people in the summer, and you know he liked some of his Substacks for a while. And there's a very pronounced Matt Taibbi's first tweet tweet ever about uh, about Elon Musk was about uh, my old show I used to do with Michael Brooks. Where we and he tweeted that look about to be on this show where they're giving Elon Musk a uh, a Terran Elon Musk a new one and now he will never you know no. say something like that because it would cost him a lot of money like that's that's ultimately where like he he likes to act like as if this is and I think like the Wasserman Schultz thing you know specifically like I I think it's it's worth pointing out but I I. Like at why do the post on Twitter had this to say, and I think this is kind of right. She should have been more specific and asked how many paid subs he gained since December and why, if this is independent, he's concerned with censorship on the platform. He was silent when Musk banned multiple journalists after files round two, including unfollowing Barry Weiss because she's she actually did make a stink about that stuff. Yeah, she um, bucked, she she bucked his point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like I I think like there is a little bit too much of like I think Thomas is right, like this isn't the people and like the uh, representative from Virgin Islands that said like, you're a threat to the people. Like, I think that was frankly exactly what they wanted yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, from Democrats. That was the soundbite that they wanted to walk away with. Right. It, it's, it's much more hard to just make an explicit case that, yeah, this billionaire is actually a whistleblower. He's the new Edward Snowden and um, just a channel for his, you know, uh, you know, revelations. I think Matt Binder's point in the majority report segment was so fuck. I think it was Binder that made it. it was so fucking good when he was saying that Taibi is so desperate for his like Snowden story, right? Which you know we we hate on Glenn Greenwald and he's pretty fucking cringe. But like you you know no one nobody's ever going to be able to take that away from him. He did have that incredible impactful story, and Taibi is trying to make this into like a, a groundbreaking, relevant, you know, like impactful story. And like the baby bird is just not leaving the nest. Like no one gives a shit about the Twitter files unless you're like some some crank on Twitter, you know?
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even like the Greenwald stuff, there are people that were criticizing at the time the relationship with Pierre Omidyar and the uh, revelations on that. And so, like, uh, like yeah, I was one you, of those people. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was one of those people who had a problem with uh, our crusading 2012 Glenn Greenwald journalist, um, you know, getting a quarter of a billion dollars from a guy who was raking in money because of by like a business model that was basically honor suicides in India. And like yeah. I had a I had a problem with that, and I think a lot of people, other people did too. A lot yeah, of Matt Naibi's former colleagues, like Mark Ames and guys like that, were were doing a lot of really good reporting around that. Exactly right. I mean, those guys like uh, Mark Ames, uh, um, Yasha, Yasha, Yasha Levine, like those guys are kind of what Taibbi and Greenwald are simulating to the world. Uh, uh, I think um, yeah. the past irony years. not lost that those two still kind of work in somewhat obscurity, you know, followed by folks like me and you, but like yeah. not the popular and do not have multi-million dollar rumble deals or anything like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to say like, this isn't even the savviest way that Taibi could be playing it. Like just by defending the coverage that he did at the time, if he wanted to, he could say like when presented, like Elon Musk was very selective with the information that he gave you. You could just say like, yeah, it's turned out that that is the case. And that's actually been my next, phase of investigation is requesting all the decision making that came you know why why give me some documents but not all that's actually something i matt taibbi investigative journalist extraordinaire is very interested mm-hmm. in getting to the bottom of except he's not interested what would that cost him it's like a call to act that's a good i mean classic call to action stay tuned click here to read more you know i mean right. yeah i mean what, what would that cost him if he turned against elon now he would lose all the elon fanboys that are doing this thing and like look I, I, actually to be uh you know full disclosure you lose market share. i worked directly for Matt Taibbi. I produced a podcast for him and Alex Perrine called the Tarfu Report. Um, I probably made more money than both of them <laughs> off of that because I was charged a flat rate. Uh, nice one. Um, and and I have like nothing but frankly good things to say about uh, Taibbi as a as like a boss. Um, and we got along very well. But I will say like there were certain fixations on like how he got iced out of the intercept and Greenwald, uh, you know, there's like, like that, that sort of tense relationship there and yeah. certain like, mm-hmm. like things that I'm just like, you know, that sucks, man. But like, you know, what do you want to do about it? Just you like, like your whole personality and your yeah. whole professional identity, you know? And like, to me, it just seemed like, uh, and, and I do think the, the, there's a conflation between his writings, the sort of Gonzo writings on Russia and whether he actually abused anybody himself. That was, I think, pretty uh, uh, unfair to him at the time of the yeah. whole Me Too stuff because um, uh, there's never been any accusers of, of actual interpersonal uh, misconduct. Um, we, we talked about Yasha Levine a minute ago on Yasha Levine's Substack from months ago. He has a really great breakdown of that that alludes kind of to what you're talking about, Matt, where it's like, that was such bad faith. Like, there's reasons to criticize Taibi, and that was yeah. like one of the worst ones and probably and pushed I, him a little further away from, you know. Exactly. I think, like, I think he just, and, and I was working for him at the time, and he was afraid to address it. Yeah. Uh, and because it was bad faith, but like, look, like you got to address the stuff and you can't leave it for Ames to like figure out after it's sort of become a, a slow rolling controversy. And it, um, it ultimately, that was why the Tarfu report that I worked on blew up because he just needed to step away because he was trying to promote an Eric Garner book and kept getting asked about it because he just 
wouldn't address it. And yeah. you know, there was a solid year there where everything, everything he was associated with was kind of poisoned. And it, yeah. again, unfairly, but like it, it, it was what it was. And, and and like that's the thing. Like you look, I work for Sam Cedar, and he had unfair shit about um, from Mike Cernovich and entire right wing people like successfully for a moment get him fired from MSNBC, and that was an entirely different experience because Sam was. We stayed late that night to address that shit. The second this came out, and like. That's why it it it's frustrates me a little bit, and maybe pre- my proximity to Taibi uh, uh, makes this a little bit more emotional for me. But like to hear him talk about courage, with respect to him coming out last summer and saying, you know, we need to look at and have a more open debate about if tr- we're going too far with this trans stuff. And Matt Walsh's, you know, people should review Matt Walsh's book and painting that as yeah. like courage, because I've seen the moment for him to be courageous and he missed it. Yeah. The, 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 I think you touched on um, Schellenberger is in this going back to what we're taught, what we were originally talking about, which was this, um, this hearing. He's kind of the tell, the, he's the Tellenberger. He's the tell um, because he, his involvement is what lets you know that this is a public relations um, exercise. Mm-hmm. I like going back to what you originally said a moment ago, Matt. I don't even care how much, honestly, Matt Taibbi got paid. I don't care how much Schellenberger got paid. What I care about is how much brand equity it resulted in for Twitter. Because that's how you define whether something is public relations or not. Did it help the company? And it did. It like it it helped burnish Elon's story about being this like you how you described him this sort of crusading whistleblower coming in and, and saving this um, you know American institution that is Twitter. And uh, and it served his interests. And if you serve the interests of the institutions that you're purporting to report on, there's a word for that. It's fucking access journalism. It's bullshit. It's what yep. we've spent the last 10 years trying to educate people, 20 years maybe, even longer, like ever since the advent of digital journalism, trying to, ever since Deadspin was like, fuck that. We don't need press passes to games, you know, to report honestly on, on the sports. Like, that's what we've been trying to, you know, collectively trying to like inculcate in people that media literacy and just watching the clips that I saw, it doesn't seem like even like Debbie Wasserman Schultz is not media literate at this point. She's still, if she's that focused and on like what Thomas said, that, that, that point of like, were you paid for this? How much money did you make on this? It's like, it's kind of, you're kind of missing the point a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm one final point is I just think like there was all this stuff to in defense. It's easier to defend Taibi by saying, Look at all these people weirdly supporting Debbie Wasserman Schultz, but Matt Taibbi thanked Jim Jordan <laughs> uh, with a with a very obsequious tweet afterwards, and has uh, took a photo op with Ted Cruz. So, oh, like, look, God. I don't like I don't like retweeting a, something that makes Debbie Wasserman Schultz look good, <laughs> but I am sure as hell not going to thank Jim Jordan for taking this this issue so seriously uh, and uh, take a picture with Ted Cruz. Like, you know, there is a rash of this going on on the left um, in sort of like left adjacent media spaces where I'm just in recent weeks, I had jotted down Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, JD Vance as three different politicians who have been getting praise from assorted figures on the left for very specific policies that they're putting forth. A lot of them are like, rooted in like anti-war sentiment or just like broad, you know, you know, the, with JD Vance, the, um, you know, criticism and wanting to get to the bottom of what happened in East Palestine. But 
How can you be this naive? How can you be this naive? Ironically, Matt Taibbi has become a useful idiot. You know, he's truly lived up to the name of his podcast <laughs> with, with those tweets and, and that picture. Yeah. We, we didn't really dig into it um, when we talked about it, but I, I watched the Glenn Greenwald, Matt Gates interview. And it's oh, that that's right. We didn't mention, we didn't really get into right. it. So, he, so I'll summarize it very quickly. He, like, when Matt Gates is like, talking about like, you know, U.S. interests in Ukraine or whatever, Glenn, I think, kind of is needling at him where he's like, you have all these European countries with these robust social programs that provide such a wonderful quality of life for their citizens, and yet... They're on the and like getting that in there that that is the end that these programs don't add to misery or like squash like you know drive or anything like that like he's making a very clear like economic point but then let's Matt off the hook completely when Matt when he says like you know would we redirect our military aid towards those social programs if we were to withdraw aid from Ukraine he said no I would redirect that to the border. Because we don't want to be we don't want to be funding defense contractors. We want to be securing our citizens. There is a New York Times article from ten years ago about how when they were doing that, what was it, the Gang of Six or Gang of Eight, whatever the Rubio bill was from ten. Yeah, Raytheon was salivating over the prospect of getting to sell military equipment to have like the border be the new forever war. Like so, he's he's like letting him wash his hands of the military industrial complex. But not even like he's okay. it's a very like cynical game. And look, look, all that shit comes all that like military contract shit at the border doesn't just come from Republicans. It comes from Democrats, because what is the Democratic answer to not, to not having the wall, which, of course, the wall is like so fucking stupid. But it's s- smart border security technology, mm-hmm. which means like drones, like literally like predator drones in the southern U.S.-Mexico border, like, scanning the airwaves. Obviously, they're not armed with, like, missiles yet. I mean, there's actually a bill that is seeking to designate, you know, cartel and, like, uh, you know, drug uh, trafficking organizations in Mexico as terrorist organizations. So you could easily see a future where these, like, drone technology at the border is equipped with, like, military-grade weaponry. Um, But, yeah, you're completely right, Gerald. I mean... All, all, all that, all that border security shit is just a giant cash giveaway of, of our tax dollars to military contractors. It does remind me of like how in the lead up to the Civil War, when like tensions between the North and South were getting bad, it's like, oh, let's go invade Mexico, and that's like these guys <laughs> pretending like yeah. they're like anti-war, and then you see like in the same breath, it's like. I mean, we should invade Mexico, stop this drug stuff. Or or it's like very se- like serious allegations against China. Um, like like it's all, you know, really phony. And just one point on Matt Gates' proposal to withdraw American troops of Syria. Um, Noah Rothman, I think from the National Review, uh, says, insofar as this vote was at all indicative of a political realignment, the evidence for that can be found in the fact that more Democratic members voted with Gates than Republicans, and most of those Democrats are members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Now, that is something you will not see Glenn Greenwald uh, and like the uh-huh. different sort of fluffers of Matt Gates and you know the uh, the new realigners on the conservative yeah. side. Like you won't see them emphasize that. That won't line up. That won't. That, that won't. That won't close some. You know, being being um, being complimentary towards AOC isn't going to help the Substack numbers or anything like yeah, that. No. Um, so transitioning from one um, potential horrible dystopian future where we um, have fully militarized the uh, the border to another uh, potential dystopian future where um, the current Florida governor is 
the president of the United States, right? Let's talk a little bit about Ron DeSantis. The reason, the, the way that I want to try to approach this, Tomas, is you had a really informative, if, if anybody doesn't, if any of you listen to the show and somehow don't follow uh, Tomas Kennedy on Twitter, you should go follow him at uh, uh, Tomas Ken, right? K-E-N-N at the end. Mm-hmm. And um, Tomas took all of this fire hose energy that's been coming at those of us in Florida in the form of these just antiquated, horrible, restrictive bill after bill after bill that we don't even have time to process them, um, let alone talk about them. And he, you know, uh, synthesized them into a few really helpful infographic in Twitter posts. And Tomas, I was hoping maybe we could talk about a few of them. If you're bored by one of them, say, fuck that one. Let's not talk about that one. But we'll just like kind of kind of run through them um, and, uh, and 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 just try to bring everybody up to date on g- give you a look a little bit at, at like what your future potential future president, what's on his legislative agenda right now so that you can get an idea for maybe what um, uh, Ron DeSantis America might look like. I'm sorry if you guys hear my voice kind of dropping at the end of every sentence right now is because I'm reading these fucking bills and I'm looking at them and kind of reminding myself what's in them. Um, let's start with uh, HB1 slash SB202, which is a proposal designed to continue uh, defunding public Flor- uh, Florida public schools. Awesome. That's exactly what they need, if you ask me. Tomas, what's what's going on with, uh, what should we know about HB1 slash SB202? SB202. This, this has been an, an, an ideological project long in the making for Florida Republicans. And, you know, it, it's, it's really an ideological project for the Republican Party as a whole, for the Betsy DeBose uh, Department of Education under Trump. But really what it would do is that it would hand over four uh, billion with a B of our tax dollars to unaccountable uh, private charter schools. Uh, you know, and, and that is, again, money. For, for folks that aren't familiar, that is public school money that is used for vouchers for these private charter schools that are unaccountable to any sort of elected uh, school board authority or for to any real sort of like standards uh, set by these school boards or really in, in a lot of ways the, 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 the Florida state government uh, unless specified in, you know, in, in, in legislation. So, again, this is just a project to uh, destroy and starve of resources our Florida public schools, which are already in horrible, horrible shape. And they're that way because they've been intentionally sabotaged. Yeah, the, the, this one is, is particularly like we, to, to understand the context of this of this bill. You also have to like think of it in, in, in conjunction with the Don't Say Gay bill, which was obviously a transphobic, homophobic right. and um, just prejudicial up and down. But if that's what you think it was about, you miss something important. What it's really about is making Florida public schools shittier. What Don't Say Gay was about was about saying, like, look at how bad. And look, here, two years later, year and a half later, we're, here we are looking at our public schools and saying, damn, look how shitty our public schools are. Uh, parents like me, parents of a certain income level and above, hey, you know what, guys? Why don't you guys, you know, stop messing with these shitty public schools? Just come, come on over and 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 you know and and enroll in a private or a charter school, which was where, where the law will let you be as gay as you yeah, want, if right. I understand correctly. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, you know, I got a buddy, uh, Chris Leal, who ran for office in Texas, and that's a uh, huge dynamic too there. And like, of course, you just have the the like the marching bigotry of it, but 
this is seen by the elites as a spearhead to take two teachers unions. And uh, I'm not sure what the uh, union teacher union situation is in Florida, but I know in Texas, like, and just attack on public schools, people like in rural areas love their public schools. Cause like it's a, you know, a civic center, you know, basically for obvious reasons. And there's the, the way to turn them against that is these attempts through different types of prejudice and uh, you know, they're going to, you know, make your kid gay or trans or whatever. Um, and, and the same thing with the CRT stuff, they're going to tr- teach your kid to hate America. And yeah, like, like you said, that it, it speaks to and animates those bigotries, but it's also a material attack on a, a class of people like teachers that can stand up to uh, what they want to do. Yeah. And Matt, it, it's funny that you um, bring up teachers unions because all these bills are they're 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 synchronized, right? They're a symphony of shit <laughs> that that is coming upon us. There's a there's a bill, the Senate Bill 256, that will actually um, decertify, dissolve uh, public sector unions, including teachers unions that fall below a 60 percent uh, membership threshold. And it actually also makes uh, automatic dues deduction illegal, illegal for public sector unions. And of course, police unions and firefighter unions are exempt. Exempt. Interesting. Yeah. Who would have thought? That's so weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, that could have ended up anyway, but the fact that it ended up being exempt for just them is so random. so weird. Yeah, It's so funny because they consider that authoritarian to, you know, do that, but they want to be authoritarian to cops and firefighters? That doesn't sound like... uh, Yeah, I guess guess authoritarianism is okay when it's done to our beautiful um, police. (laughs) Yeah. Tomas, if anybody has had it too easy, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If anybody in the state of Florida has had it too easy for the last three years, it's renters. Um, it's it's just way too easy, way too affordable to, to live here. Uh, SB 102 is focused on um, the effort to sort of take help, uh, I guess, help renters no, or take away local government ability to enact rent control during states of emergency. Um, Tomas, what's, what's, what's going on with SB 102 that we should know? So this bill basically stems from an effort led, uh, by Florida rising, uh, and representative Anna Skimani, who's a friend of the pod, Ida Skimani, her sister, who's also a friend of the pod. They, you know, in Orange County, which is the Orlando area, they've led, uh, a, a valid measure to enact, uh, what they call rent stabilization, rent control, uh, and it was a temporary measure, right? Because of what they declare, what was declared as a state of emergency because of the skyrocketing housing prices in the area. This was approved by a majority over 60% of Orange County voters. Obviously, the Florida Real, uh, Real Estate Association and other special interest groups sued to stop it. Uh, and it's been tied up in the courts. But you know the 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 you know the corrupt special interest driven hacks uh, in Tallahassee decided to just take care of it, and they're putting this uh, you know state level preemption to make sure that there's no way to enact rent control in the state of Florida. And and Matt, I mean, you're in New York, right? So you're in a, in a place that is also you know struggling with skyrocketing you know housing costs and rental costs but do you see like yeah do you see measures like this being taken at the state level in new york or or yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure like DSA, like Julia Salazar, uh, been um, active on those fronts. You know, I've been living in the exact same place in New York since uh, the one I moved here, frankly, because of rents. And I can't even imagine, uh, like, it's, it gives me anxiety to think of having to move from this place because like rent has gone up so incredibly much. And like, the one thing like, I would say is like, all this talk of everybody moving to Florida, one, like I imagine this is leading to certain people to leave Florida too. Um, but like people leave in New York, it's because of that. Like <laughs> it's not because we're right. it, it, rich people going to Florida, I think to like evade taxes and retire and stuff like that. But like people leaving um, New York uh, to go to like Ohio or whatever. Uh, it's not because it's, I don't know, woke here or crime even it's because like the crime is uh, real estate. Yeah. Jared, we got an upcoming episode about that, and we gotta we gotta um, put the put the pin on that one. But because yeah, um, one interesting thing we're learning, Matt, down here in Florida, and Gerald is living proof of it, is that 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 um, yeah. that freeway to Florida it runs two ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I re- I remember in the 2019 uh, primary for the Dems, um, it was like an open joke in Miami that like even if Andrew Yang got his thousand a month UBI you would just notice a thousand a month increase in your rent. Your right. Landlord. Like they would just soak it up. Yeah. Yeah. We had a fake, uh, a joke, which was like the, the pack for Andrew Yang was landlords for UBI. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So these first two were, uh, I don't know, just pretty garden variety bad. The, the next one is almost like, like turn of the century fiction Orwell. like, I really hate to use the word Orwellian, but, um, it's, it's, I don't know, Tomas, I want to hear your, your, your take on this, whether or not this has like, this has legs, whether or not they will actually pass this. And what we're talking about is HB 991, um, which is a $35,000 fine. If you call someone racist, like that's it. I mean, like I'm just boiling it down because that's literally what just anybody. Yeah. Basically, if, if you call if someone, someone racist, racist you get yeah, and you, you will you are yes exactly and you can't prove by dissecting their heart on a fucking table and pulling out like yeah. a you know a, a pog that has an r on it or something that like you, you if you can't do that then guess what the burden of proof you have failed and you pay thirty five thousand dollars please yeah. so Tomas first of all does this today March tenth twenty twenty three Based on what you know, does this have a chance to move forward? Is this something that that is really one of the agenda items, or is it just something that they put forward? So this is a question that comes up a lot: is will this crazy shit pass? And I, I, I literally tell people, stop asking me that. It can absolutely pass. Yeah. <laughs> they control everything. They, they control have the, votes. the Florida yeah. Supreme Court. They have like all the district court appointments. They have super majorities in both chambers. The governorship. Absolutely. And also they don't care, right? Like they, they don't give a shit. They're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks in terms of constitutionality or not. They're going for the short term, you know, reward of the headline. We talked about this, Matt. And if it gets upheld in court, great. If it doesn't, okay, fuck it. Like you guys were saying on Left Reckoning, they can say, well, we fought against the establishment and the libs and, you know, we're, we're going to keep They're still that. against us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the um, the this almost feels like it's designed um, to be like similar to the uh, the enhanced um, 
you remember the, the, the task force that they put together um, with respect to voter fraud? And it really just ended up being, like you said, Tomas, like for headlines. It was like 20 people that they arrested. And most of them, after the news cycles were over, they just ended up dropping the charges anyway, or they or, or they were, um, you know, exonerated in one way or another. But it was just to be able to say like, hey, look, we arrested 20 people for voting. And I feel like that's one of these where they were, they're going to want to say like, look, we sued 20 people for calling us racist. So, you know, Miami Herald, Orlando Sentinel, Tallahassee Democrat, put that on the front page, make sure everybody knows it's not okay to call me racist anymore. Like you used to be able to. <laughs> Matt's shaking his head. It's a, it's, 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 it's a lot. To fucking like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like how you, how you like duplicate that law if you're President DeSantis and you're like, oh yeah, I, I, I'm running on this. This is great. I, I, not only did I do it, I'm really happy that it happened. I was just gonna say, like, I don't know how they're gonna square the circle of like this is simultaneously a free speech freedom guy, and also like a Handmaid's Tale style like lawyer. <laughs> But also, like, they're setting up a dynamic where it'll only be the elites who can afford to call people in Florida racist. <laughs> like, Mike Bloomberg could sit, like, with a webcam and just read off a list of people he thinks is racist because he could afford the bill. Is basically setting up a dynamic where they're the only ones who are going to be afford to call. People you know, you know, in the mo- you know, in the purge, in the purge movies where they like show you what the rich people are doing on the night of the purge, it'll be like that. It'll be like rich people just yeah. enjoying, you know, foie gras while they're like, and also I think Santa's is yeah. sexist. And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. Like a, it's a luxury move. It's a power play. Um, Tomas, SB 10, se- I'm sorry, SB 170. It puts a financial burden on taxpayers to defend against for-profit corporations um, when pa- for when passing local laws that serve the needs of their communities. That sounds super anodyne. What does it actually do? So, th- yeah, this is a, a fucking crazy-ass bill that a lot of people are not paying attention to because it doesn't have the headline of, like, don't say gay or, like, you know, having it being an abortion ban or whatever. But it's, it's a fucking crazy bill. So, basically, if... A local ordinance, right? If you're like county or city passes an ordinance, like an anti-pollution ordinance, right? And a corporation deems it that it impacts their their profit margins, they can basically use their team of lawyers to sue and basically have the 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 legislation be held up in court. And while the litigate while the the litigation is happening, the local ordinance is suspended. So it doesn't take into effect, right? And the, the 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 language of the bill is very very skewed towards the 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 corporation, the business, right, the company. So the the so what ends up happening is the local ordinance is immediately suspended, uh, and then it, you know it, it it will eventually be uh, uh, overturned by the court. So you know again. Uh, Kiss away uh, anti-pollution uh, ordinances, you know, uh, to protect, let's say, a lagoon or a river or, or air quality. Yeah, or, I'm thinking of like say, environmental environmental encroachments down here in, in South Florida, like on, on the Everglades, they're always trying to develop. And we are constantly in a situation where we have to pass municipal yeah. zoning to keep their or, hands or, off of, you know, nat- nature, natural spaces. Or David, you know, something that could be done away with. I mean, in Florida, we have... 
per, per a constitutional amendment, a $15 an hour minimum wage, right? But let's say that city of Miami wants to raise it to $18 or $21 or whatever, because for city of Miami contractors, there's a minimum wage of $15 an hour. With this law, that would be the company could sue. It would be instantly suspended and it would yeah. then be overturned because it raising it to $18 an hour impacts our profit margin. Crazy bill. This is what we talked about in the past about like running out the clock. If you know, for a lot of corporations in the realm of climate change and things like that, especially fossil fuel corporations, the new language of um, the new language of like denialism. We talked about it before. How it's just like, well, let's just keep it. Let's just do things that'll let us keep doing what we're doing for the next few years with uninterrupted, even if we don't have to run this full fledged PR campaign. And this is kind of the same thing. Just throw it into the courts and keep keep reaping all the profits during the, 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 the meantime. Um, I want to package, Tomas, HB 1011 and HB 1126 together um, because I, there are two things that I already thought uh, were in force, honestly. Um, HB 1011 is to ban pride flags. Uh, I, thought, I, I thought they were already illegal um, in Florida, to be honest with you. I, I assumed that we had done that already. And then uh, the SB, SB 1126 is... Uh, prohibiting you from filming police officers, which I'm being a little, um, you know, sarcastic when I say I thought that was illegal. Uh, down here in Miami, we have Carlos Miller, who was the uh, who was sort of the first person to go around filming police officers and pissing pissing them off. And um, if you talk to him these days, he'll tell you it broke him. It broke him, and uh, and he doesn't want to do it anymore. He the recriminations and the repercussions on him and his family and his life have been terrible. And um, this looks like they're just basically, Tomas, they're trying to like just codify it now, right? They're like, yeah, in, in practice, you haven't been able to film police officers without some sort of um, recrimination or some sort of penalty. And now we're going to make it actually, you know, legal that, that you can't. Yeah. So, so I'll start with 1011. So it's a little bit more complicated. So what the bill basically does is it prohibits any any other flag aside from the U.S. and state flag from being flown in, uh, in, 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 in public buildings in Florida. So, again, that would basically out, it, it's meant as a Trojan horse to ban pride flags. And that's not just on the flagpole of the school or the building. That means anywhere inside the building. So if a teacher wants to put, again, a Black Lives Matter or a pride flag or whatever, like that would be illegal. You know, they could they would be in violation of this law. And then the other bill is you can't uh, film a police. You have to be 30 feet away from a first responder. So that's how they package it to make it a little bit more palatable. Uh, but yeah, you, you have to be 30 feet away. It doesn't have to be an active crime scene or anything like that. You just have to be 30 feet away at all times from a police officer to film them. And 30 feet away is uh, it, it's it's a long distance. <laughs> it's not. It's not close. <laughs> you the, like I, I I don't know like I I feel like this stuff it is so far away from like the normal lived experience of people who aren't down here. I mean like this. Yeah. I I, I don't know. It's, I might I might sound agog right now. I don't usually stammer this much when we're like going over material, but it's just like we were messaging and I was like letting you know like I know that like this has been like a machine gun rate <laughs> of like so legislation, close. and you're just trying not to like get clips but like in the other i mean maybe not in the red ones but certainly purple to blue 
people do look at what's going on in Florida a little bit. Like, what the fuck is going on down there? Like, it's not, I don't, I wouldn't want to, that's not something that would attract me to go to a place is the constant, like, worry that I'll be penalized for just trying to be normal or be regular or see something wrong and want to intervene or it, like anything like that. And, and it doesn't work the other way, right? Like, it's not like cops have to be 30 feet away from you to film you. Matt, uh, since, you're, since you're in New York, I was like, watching this story recently where basically there were like some cops standing outside of like a drake concert or some shit just like oh, yeah. filming everybody that was like leaving or something i, I don't even know what the hell yeah. was that about but yeah just it's it's always skewed against the citizen you know the law yeah that's why like i don't think this stuff people don't really you know the the it's the it's the CRT and and that stuff that makes it out of Florida because we're all doing like look like I mean Cop City is the thing in Georgia right like as far as like the national cop story and like you talk about outside agitators all these corporations paid like millions of dollars for that to be installed uh, over the heads of the people and like you said yeah in New York here we got Eric Adams having cops uh, you know big pro cop Eric Adams uh, uh, coming and filming people exiting a drake concert with uh, uh, you know face recognition technology presumably or what they say is like scanning people for uh you know warrants and stuff like that and like that's creepy enough but also they're creating a database right like all that stuff like it's just utterly horrifying and you have like you know um eric adams winning on this pro cop sort of let's not reform. We can partner with the cops, you know, we don't need to reform yeah. them and you know, nothing has really changed uh, in terms of like safety there, except like, you know, you see more uh, you have people baying for cops to beat up people who evade fares on subway uh, 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 lines. But like uh, fundamentally, like the trends aren't, a result of you know any sorts of reforms it's that people were thrown against the rocks during a pandemic and there's an awful lot of deprivation and also like inflation and all sorts of problems so um yeah there's something like very very close to like a main street usa uh in nyack over here um and it's like it's a whole row of like people asking you if you have a dollar where it didn't used to be like that before the pandemic like it is just like the you know people wanting to criminalize poverty just so that they don't have to. See yeah, it. and I do think that like among property owners, there's going to be a, a, a large you know base of people who are going to be sympathetic to that. Mm. No, actually, because I know we're reaching top of the hour, but I do want to talk about one bill that I think is really really important. Um, that I think, uh, yeah, it, it's just it's just awful what they're trying to do. So it's HB nine nine nine. Uh, and this is the higher education bill. So let me read what it does. It uh, basically prohibits, bans uh, higher education institutions, universities, and colleges from having gender studies, race studies, interdisciplinary interdisciplinary studies majors, and certificates. So, you know, the, the, again, the Victor Orban model of just doing away with these race and, and gender studies classes altogether from public universities. This is also where I think, you know, you're really starting to see like the, the, the politicking of our, of, our, uh, of our higher education system. It gives the board of trustees the ability to hire and fire 
faculty in all of departments. So, you know, we, I think we all know how the board of trustees at public universities have basically become a, a system of political patronage, right? To basically give out, you know, a, a position to donors and friends and lackeys and cronies. And then it also prohibits uh, the expenditure of funds on any sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion program. So this is the bill that's going to finalize and formalize the the transformation of Florida's public education, uh, public university system into right wing indoctrination machines. This is what's going to, you know, they, they, they did the test run with New College, right, with the hostile takeover of New College. And this is going to basically, that was the test run. This is going to formalize it so they can do that playbook on every single university. I mean, I feel for kids. Uh, I only graduated, uh, you know, undergrad in 2012, uh, 10 years ago now. Uh, but like my understanding is like the, the, the bottom has fallen out of higher ed. Like it's more expensive than ever. And you have people like DeSantis just attacking it. And it's really depressing. Like I, I you know, grew up in North Dakota. The idea that we are getting a sort of Howard Zinn style education on how to hate America by humanities courses is just ludicrous. Like yeah. the, the sort of discussion of, say, the uh, removal of Dakota Indians from uh, uh, Minnesota was a very both sides narrative. And look, there's violence on all sides. Isn't it a shame? <laughs> right. Like that's how it's, that's how stuff is actually taught in this country. Yeah. So, like, it, it, yeah. it's just, you know, really depressing that and that, you know, the option uh, that people have to, you know, continue educating themselves before they go serve a capitalist um, is being sort of hollowed out and hollowed out and hollowed out. And I don't, I don't know what kind of experience kids get these days, but I used to want to go to university of Florida when I, when I grew up, like what's happening to like, all these colleges I saw, you know, play sports and stuff like these degrading them. Yeah. So, so yeah, UF was a really good school that has, you know, completely, you know, just been on the decline. But you, you make such a good point, right? Because they, they are trying to paint, you know, public universities in this country as like left-wing indoctrination machines. And they're not. And they are especially not in they're Florida. Not, Something yeah. that we've talked about in the podcast before is, especially in South Florida, Florida International University and the University of Miami, which is a private university, have long been bastions of not just right-wing politics, but U.S. intelligence services. And to this day, they serve as places, mm. as hubs for recruitment for, again, U.S. intelligence services and the U.S. military. And in fact, a lot of like surveillance operations and, um, and, and, and you know, disruption operations against Cuba and other left-wing governments in South America and Central America were staged out of Florida International University and University of Miami. So not only are these not like left-wing indoctrination institutions, they are quite the opposite. They have served not just American right-wing politics, but the actual project of empire, you know? So it's just nonsense. Yeah. It's just nonsense. That On that note, and to kind of bring it full circle to whistleblowers, you know, Philip Agee, the guy who wrote the CIA diary, that was a big thing that they used to talk about in the 70s and 80s. Get these agencies off of campus. And now we hear all this stuff about, oh, actually, we need to listen to race scientists like Charles Murray um, and, and stop like booting them off campus as there's like a minuscule amount of like actual protests going on. I mean, that, that it really shows like how far we've <laughs> degraded on some of these fronts. I want to uh, lightning round us through a few and then Jerry. I want, I want you to talk a little bit about like 
just for a moment if we have well, i think we still have a few well, sure i can try to speed yeah through, um like because uh, i know we're, we're at the yeah i mean there. just for the listener out there what else you got on tap real quick millions millions of dollars more to do more migrant flights so desantis can keep that going um you know we've got censoring lgbtq topics through eighth grade so that's kind of an expansion of don't say gay abolishing the democratic party you know get me on the right day and i'll you know what i'll agree with you (laughs) um decertifying public sector unions that we touched on a moment ago uh jesus christ uh School board members would no longer be able to approve materials that are used to teach sex ed, um, banning drag queen shows, uh, requiring bloggers who write about Ron DeSantis and other members of the state executive (laughs) cabinet or legislature to register with the state or pay fines. Um, It's a second. It'll be a second degree misdemeanor for a trans person to not leave a bathroom in in Florida. Uh, Criminalize parents and health care providers that give gender affirming care. That's a, at this point, that's an old saw. I mean, that we're only like, we're, we're one of many with that one. Um, permitless carry for, for weapons in Florida. Abolish all training and safety requirements to carry a gun. That sounds like it'll work out great. Um, yeah, so a six-week abortion ban, anti-immigration, anti-immigrant legislation. Um, the, going hand-in-hand with the, um, with the open carry, there's also a uh, rollback of gun safety regulations because it's not like we had a... Um, horrible school shooting here just a couple of years ago or anything like that. So this is the platform, Jer. Where, what, what's the candidate up to these days? This is the platform, the evil platform. And we have a man who is ready to put banality in banality of evil. Um, I will be very quick because I know we're, we're pressed for time. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people freak out over Ron DeSantis's uh, background as a, um, a Navy JAG at Guantanamo Bay. Um, who was ostensibly there basically as a crisis management team to try to like make sure that like bad things don't happen there and would literally like go to the prisoners and ask like, Hey, what's been bothering you? Like what's, what's, what are some things you don't like that are happening here? And would take that information back to the higher ups and be like, okay, these are the things they don't want to happen. So like, like, ant, like, what are your worst fears? To like really try to break somebody. empire HR. basically. Um, like that's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just about the cool and like the, there's a um, a noting here. Everyone's probably familiar with the um, this better not be Ron DeSantis doing terrible things with with his students at parties. <laughs> there's a that's the thing that people probably see on the internet. Um, they have a little nugget in there about how he forced um, not forced he cha- he dared a kid to try to drink a gallon of milk and of course like the kid threw up. Sorry, um, but they say like, Jill, oh, I have to I have to jump yeah. in. The stuff he was doing at Gitmo, the excerpt uh, from the Mike yeah. Preisner and uh, and yes. talks about him being party to them force feeding people in Sure. So this motherfucker yes, forcing dairy sure. down people's yes. throats. Yes, force feeding people who are on a hunger <sighs> strike, basically. Um, that it's it's this is not a um, this is not a normal man. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, but I'll say this. I'll just summarize his political career. I I am not very nervous about this guy, except for the ecosystem that he resides in now being absolutely bananas. I do not think this guy has ever had an original thought in his head. His whole career screams Fox News fad chaser. In the mid-2000s, he goes from the Ivy League to Guantanamo Bay in 2006-2007. If you're showing up to Guantanamo Bay 
on the down years of the Bush administration, you're probably a true believer in the Bush administration. Except, no, he's reborn in the early 2010s as a Tea Party patriot. He was one of the uh, people elected in 2012 on the Paul Ryan platform of wanting to cut and eventually privatize, you know, finish Bush's job from 05. Um, Social Security, um, because these programs are unaffordable and they got to go. Except that Donald Trump shows up and says, no, we're going to make America rich again um, so that we could afford all these programs. And Ron says, uh, you know what? That's me now also. Um, so I'm yeah, this I, I love, I love that we, retrospect, like thinking back of like how what what a warping effect Trumpism had, like how it just took everything yes. in the project and it, it just yes. like, morphed it into something weird looking. It, I remember I remember watching the first debate where he was in center stage and thinking Scott Walker's career is over because who in the primary electorate is going to vote for the second biggest dick on the stage? Like, it's done. Um, and then bring us fast forward to now. Um, he basically cribbed the don't say gay framework. Um, they'll deny it. Rod Dreher kind of leaked out that uh, his... Uh, uh, Christina Pershaw was having a conversation saying that we we monitor what Orban is doing, <laughs> and uh, we were looking at this at his um, push Great to model. keep uh, gay people gay Hungarians from preying on children, and we thought that was a good framework to use on uh, uh, what is it with Floridians. Um, so I, I would say you like for all the nicknames. Uh, that Trump has thrown at this guy, you couldn't even throw Ron de Burgundy at him. Like he'll read anything off the teleprompter because at least Ron Burgundy reads off his own teleprompter. This guy is craning his neck at what other people are putting on their teleprompters through his entire career and just reading off of other people's ideas. What makes me worried is that basically it will be like a straight pipeline to Tucker Carlson's newsroom to the White House, where basically you will have news producers, essentially whatever they write, he will basically turn it into policy because this guy does not have, this guy does not have a will of his own. He is he is just there to ride the coattails of whatever is put in front of him. So you're going to have to put something in front of him. But uh, Matt, yeah, out, I would, Matt, outside of our little outside of our little bubble here in Florida, like, are we are we catastrophizing? Like imagining a scenario where this guy's actually president. I mean, like, uh, no, here we haven't seen this a chink in this guy's armor yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in his charisma and stuff like that. But um, and I think like Trump kind of eat his lunch a little bit. But I do th- find yeah. it worrying that he like he he won he bucked the trend on the uh, midterms or maybe everybody yeah. else bucked the trend and he was the only one that didn't buck it um but uh and had success there in a way that made me concerned and like i think that if if a guy like him can be installed uh, basically a party hack soulless you know yes. f- literally a gitmo lawyer installed in the office we're in a very dark place as a country even more so cuz like trump to me like that's that's apple pie like it's it's give you cancer but it's yeah. like it's really like understandable it's radon infused apple pie yeah it's yeah. As american as getting poisoned by the um by the by the power plant up the street yeah exactly like he's got like popular buy-in and it's not a surprise why he's a rich guy that's been in the media for 40 years but desantis winning a national election uh because I mean, it'd have to be because Biden sucks and the Democrats can't are too feckless. Like that would be, or or Powell gets the recession that he's been angling for, right? Um, you know, to try to suck things out of the labor and, market. And you know, I I think I, I I if I had to 
you know, handicap it, I'd say Biden would beat Biden and Trump. I would, I think, would are both more formidable in voting than DeSantis. But you never know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Tomas, when do you think he'll announce? Soon after session. Soon after session. Uh, I would say session ends mm. in May, probably in the summer. Yeah. Riding I mean, high yeah. on a raft of legislation that he that he just passed. Yeah. Headline grabbers. Yeah, I mean, right, right now would not be a, a good time, right? I mean he's 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 in, he's in governor mode or you know whatever. But I think I think yeah, he does a press conference right after session, says Florida, you know, with his Florida blueprint bull, bullshit, that's the tour that he's doing now and says this is the blueprint for America. You know, I'm America's right wing governor. And uh yeah. Yeah, that's like what Jerry had said that he's already pressing flesh. He's already pressing flesh in in Iowa, and you know, doing all the the things that you are supposed to do. You know, he shouldn't. I don't think. I think he should wait and let Trump do it. Um, but that that so that's the thing is I went on Newsmax's uh, social media pages, and MAGA is mad at him for doing yeah. this. And I will also say this: uh, what uh, before the new year, Mike Lindell was talking about wanting to send investigators down to. Miami-Dade County, um, because they said that an 11-point swing uh, for the Republicans there probably speaks to uh, ballot stuffing, basically, on Ron DeSantis's part, that it couldn't possibly You know be what? So. He's right. I, so I think he, he's right. He's pre- he's pre- they're already doing window dressing for Ron being a not just a party hack, but a behind-the-scenes uh, election not stealer that should Trump... Hey! Should, yeah, should Trump... He let the race... He know. let them raid Mar-a-Lago. I mean, not very... Uh, not, yep. not very loyal. One of my favorite Trump nicknames yeah. uh, right now is either Tiny D, um, uh, because of psychosexual connotations, but also Deep State Ron is really, really good. <laughs> yes, I love Deep State Ron. I... Um, I, d- dishonest is funny too because that is like that's him that's like lateral brain like oh you you've actually taken mushrooms recently so you're really thinking creatively because i would have never thought of dishonest um but yeah. it really rolls off the tongue it does that one that one fucking you know no. alex sink should have come up with that one or no i mean i mean uh fucking, like uh yeah um God damn it, guys. i don't know i'm just i'm still i'm still fucking fixated on this like just again if you want to follow Tomas go check him out on Twitter he has this list of all the legislation and uh I mean like I'm toggling between this these these infographics that Tomas posted and like you know Zillow uh Zillow posts in like upstate New York like I I, I literally am have speaking baby it feels like trying to punch a wave it it's it's or trying to punch a hurricane or something. It's it feels very overwhelming. Um, so just wait. Coming to a city near you, folks. Our our guest today was uh, Matt Leck. Matt, um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you can follow him at Matt Leck on Twitter. You can also you can also check out uh, the Left Reckoning podcast and Literary Hangover. Um, and Matt, where else should people go to to, to find you? Uh, I'm on uh, Majority Report uh, daily, so you can check that out as well.